going on, Brian? It is Friday the 13th. It's the 13th of March, 2020, exactly. And, and what more appropriate date to be discussing things like business continuity, planning, and disaster recovery? Uh, yeah, you know, this... it's, it's, it's been an interesting uh, escalation of events that we've seen just in one week, let alone the last two or three months with the spread of coronavirus or COVID-19. Yeah, no, and I think that's why we we kind of broke from our our traditional, uh, you know, production schedule of interviewing guests and just decided we were going to have a conversation because, you know, just from Monday, um, was it Monday the 12th or something? Not Monday the 12th, it's the 13th right now. (laughs) But, you know, like the 9th or something, the Monday of this week in 2020, um, you know, things have drastically changed from Monday to Friday. Um, And Disaster recovery, business continuity, all that stuff is is something that should be on I, top of IT leaders' minds right now. Absolutely, and it's it is a complex process, and it's something that is really a key set of responsibilities for leaders in an organization, let alone technology leaders. I think part of the reason that it ends up landing in the laps of technology leaders most often, it's what I would qualifies the curse of competency, right? (laughs) We're the department that tends to be responsible for managing the technology, which is a critical component of disaster recovery planning. But it's also that we tend to be very detail oriented in our documentation Mm -hmm. as, as uh, you know, is required for our own day-to-day operations. And we also tend to be the ones who are in charge of all the data, Right. So yep. the, the backup, the warm failover, you know, all of those things. Well, and I get it, you know, most of people's interactions with work, um, you know, in, in the office space environment is, is with computers and technology. Right. Um, so we've kind of had to do it for a long time, especially since we've moved stuff to the cloud. You know, we had data failover and backup. So it kind of falls in IT's lap because we've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> just for the, for the IT environment perspective. So a lot of organizations will lean on that experience and expertise, um, you know, to help drive the conversation, but, but everyone in leadership be involved, should be involved, not just IT. That's exactly correct. It's a shared responsibility and we're going to talk at length about that today. Yep. So with that, uh, let's go on, go ahead to the show. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm in Lozano in Washington, D.C. And today we thought we would tackle a timely topic and discuss disaster recovery and business continuity planning. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, trying time right now. We're, we're recording this on, you know, March 13th, 2020, if anyone's listening. And the coronavirus, COVID-19, is that what it is? That's right. Um, has a lot of teams scrambling around to, you know, work on their disaster recovery policies, remote teams. It's, it's a lot of stuff that's coming to IT's plate right now. Uh, I was just speaking with, with a vendor of mine, and they were talking about, you know, they have customers that are trying to you know, have remote work enabled for them, but they're nowhere near ready for that. And that's something that you just can't spin up overnight. (laughs) Yeah, this is exactly accurate. That's why, uh, you know, I I remember sitting down to a very first BCDR committee uh, and, you know, that was probably, I don't know, 
2007, something like that. And I, I remember saying, isn't, isn't the phrase BCP DR? And, uh, and someone looked at me and they said, well, business continuity, uh, disaster recovery. No, the, I don't think there's any P in there. And I said, well, it's the planning part. Right. Planning. <laughs> and I think that's what's coming to a head right now for a lot of organizations is they're being set into a mad scramble um, because the planning piece is once again, you know, part of what has been overlooked. Uh, it's great to have discussions around these things. It's, it's great to have good intent and uh, to have, you know, third party services where you can replicate out all your uh, disaster recovery documentation. But if there's not actually a plan behind it, you don't actually have a uh, human resource matrix for who is in your incident response teams, mm -hmm. uh, then when things like this, you know, come into action, it's very hard to know which steps to take, who to contact, what to retrieve, you know, <laughs> that tells you procedurally what should be getting done. And honestly, if if you haven't been planning for some period of time to actually create an environment that allows for, you know, exactly the kind of responsiveness that uh, we're hearing about in the media today, which is everyone's got to figure out, you know, how do we do, uh, you know, day-to-day -day operations for our business without actually physically being in the office. If mm -hmm. your organization isn't already poised to be able to do that with an infrastructure that can handle it, it's not something that's going to be slapped together in the period of a week. <laughs> yeah, no. And I guess some of it is if, if you're a small shop, maybe with like five employees or like a handful, yeah you, yeah, you could probably very easily set something up, you know, in a day or two, right? And have someone on Amazon Workspaces and, and all these other products like Basecamp or something for project management. But when we're talking about, you know, the medium-sized small businesses, I, I would say once you're getting around like 10 users, that that's where you you break the point where you can't really just spin something up overnight and test it, right? When it's a handful, it's easy to just set something up and get people off and running. Um, but But I agree with you that, you know, your business planning should start a long time ago. Maybe you don't need to sit down and you know, do like something like a high level IBM would do or something, but you should at least stop and think, say, okay, if we couldn't get to the building today, how would we work? And then work your way backwards. Assume that, you know, the office is closed. You can't get to your corporate network. You can't get to your internet. How would your employees work from home and work backwards from the worst case scenario? You know, maybe you can't, you know, complete every situation, but you can get somebody 60% of the way there where they can work and business can still happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, when we talk about resources, there's both people and systems, right? Mm -hmm. So resource availability is, you know, it's, it's critical in times of crisis. And so, you know, again, knowing what's sort of the uh, bare minimum workforce that's required in order for our business to continue to function, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as well as what are those key systems that absolutely have to be up and running. Uh, you know, that's just part of the identification process and then figuring out how do we create that access? How do we create failover for individuals? Um, you know, I know you, you're in an office uh, in D.C. that's, you know, in, in prime territory. And, you know, as we have talked about for years post 9-11, you know, mm -hmm. 
what could happen if someone, you know, did something like brought explosives into, you know, a public setting, um, took out a, a portion of the building. Maybe it, maybe it doesn't, you know, do any damage beyond uh, killing your network circuits um but that that's substantial right so Mm -hmm. um having having a plan in place what happens you know in these events where uh you can start to build in layers of redundancy right um and, and you can't have unlimited layers of redundancy you have to have smart layers of redundancy uh so in yeah, that I mean, particular example yeah there's i mean and there's cost associated with it right the more yeah. redundancy you want the more expensive this stuff's going to cost and and some organizations just can't afford that right to have that 11 nines or whatever crazy thing amazon <laughs> has with their s3 bucket they lose one right. piece of data in like a million years or something like that right but um you know there's an even trade-off you know when we think of technology, this is a perfect time for firms to think of what their just what their email is, right? Where's your email hosted? You know, maybe it's time to move it to Microsoft or Rackspace or or Google. Pick any of the number of providers that host Exchange or or any type of email. That's an easy way to easy you know thing to cut off. And think of your phone system, right? We should you know you can move your phone system to the cloud now. Some of the cloud options are just as good as having your on-prem option. And, you know that's one other thing you can do. Um, you know these aren't things that you can just spin up overnight and have them by tomorrow. But you know as IT leaders, we should be thinking about how we how we keep stuff operational for the rest of the staff to keep working. And I think as IT People just in general, we're always thinking about that more probably than other business units are because there's more of demand on us to have things on 24-7, right? I don't know if there's any more of a unit. Maybe if you have a customer service unit, you know, they're, they're um, expected to be 24-7. But I feel like technology right now, the technology departments, the IT departments, um, you know, are, are under huge demand right now to make sure that their environments are up 24 by 7. Yeah, and it goes back to the P in BCP, right? It's it's mm-hmm. the planning. There's there's a lot that goes into creating and curating uh, a long term plan, and it's the kind of thing that you spent you spend a lot of effort on in the hope that you're never going to use it, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. so from that perspective, <clears throat> it's the kind of thing that it can be difficult to find someone uh, who's passionate about owning it because it is, you know, an arduous process and there's a lot of documentation, a lot of discussion. And, you know, again, a lot of uh, very, um, you know, complicated work that goes into a planning structure that you hope never to execute but it has to be actually prepared in a way as if you would in fact have to execute it and that's why you know a lot of organizations and certainly i've had this experience myself and probably you have you go through you know quarterly tabletop exercises and those can be you know they can be you know uh, done at a level of detail um, that involves a lot of sites, a lot of different human resources, a lot of different systems that you uh, simulate, you know, taking offline. Or it can be something that's just conducted more on paper with mm-hmm. core groups of people, you know, who may only be in your call tree for your uh, executive management team or your emergency management team. But it's important that you don't just write the plan and you don't just talk to various stakeholders about how to put together the plan, but then you take the plan, you actually put that thing into action, 
and simulation mm-hmm. is the best way to accomplish that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And, you know, it's just not big organizations that should be doing this. Even if you're a three or four person shop, you should probably still be thinking about it because as you grow um, and you bring on more staff, uh, you need to plan to fail, right? <laughs> there, there's got to be some way in there where, where you're planning, and then you at least want to test test it, right? You don't want the first time you do your continuity plan to be when there's a disaster. Just like when <laughs> you know when we're in technology, we don't want to test our backups when we need our backups. <laughs> we want to test them before that, right? That's exactly um, correct. So, like you said, it, it could just be as easy as initially. Like, hey, when the office is closed, you know, call your manager. This is your manager's number. And you just do everything down a tree like that. I mean, can be you can start just as simple as that, but you should be thinking about those things, right? Instead of scrambling at the last minute where all your staff doesn't know who to comment, you know, who to call when, who are we waiting for, you know, to hear from whether the office is open or closed, how do I get a hold of the IT department? Um, do we have an IT department? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who do I call for a login? And sometimes with large organizations, that's even a tricky thing too, right? You might have five different IT departments that handle different lines of business, different silos, and you might not know what IT department to call. And the IT department might not know which department to send you to. They just mm-hmm. know they can't help you. Um, so something as simple as just a phone tree. Uh, these are the people you call. This is your support team. This is our email providers. Here's our links where you log in. Is is a great way just to start, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think there are some some very deliberate sections that need to be crafted for any successful business continuity plan, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, call tree is one of those things. Um, you know, having having something that uh, can be crafted in a way that you can create uh, physical copies of it that can be easily taken off-site for folks, uh, but also that is electronically available. So that, again, from a, uh, you know, a, a shared knowledge perspective, you've got the ability to uh, have access to this data wherever you are and by whatever means, right? If, um, if for whatever reason, all your stuff's in the cloud and uh, 11 nines isn't good enough for AWS, <laughs> um, yeah. you're, you're going to have to find some other path to that information. Um, so, you know, here I, I just grabbed um, a, a physical copy of um, one of the business continuity plans that uh, that I had created that, you know, it's got handy little tabs uh, on one mm-hmm. end um, that actually go through, you know, the various sections. So starting with section one, defining roles and responsibilities, right? Who mm-hmm. in your organization is responsible for what? Disaster response and notification. Uh, that's the second section. And this includes things like templates, uh, that you would work with a communications department or, you know, someone who has that responsibility in your organization to help craft in advance of said disaster, right? So that you actually have something to start from when organizationally you come to the conclusion that, hey, it's time to start circulating some of this information, either for our clients or our workforce, whatever it may be. Uh, and then the third section, call trees, um, this is something that, uh, also took some time to create these 
handy little laminated, uh, you know, business card size cards that actually mm -hmm. contain all of that information uh, that you want to have so that, you know, this is something that you can just give to somebody, you know, that they can carry in their purse or their wallet mm -hmm. and have very easy access to. They can take a snapshot of it, have it on their phone. Um, but, you know, you, you've got to have all of these things uh, ready and available in, in multiple formats. Um, so, you know, a couple of these other sections that uh, that were created here, and, and, and we can kind of go through each of these and talk about them in a little more depth. But uh, the fourth section is recovery, resumption, and reconstitution, right? Mm -hmm. What's the plan to put things together after the disaster has ceased? Because uh, that's the other, you know, section that you actually need to spend some time really uh, putting into consideration. Uh, contact information and lines of succession. God forbid that mm -hmm. there is something that, uh, you know, is of the scale of a 9-11 where there are actually personnel who have been taken out as mm -hmm. a result of whatever the disaster is. You know, that's a, that's a scenario where you really do need to know from a lines of succession perspective who undertakes uh, the responsibilities of that person, both during the disaster as well as long term for the organization uh, after the dust has settled. Recovery requirements and vital records. That's what I've got as the sixth section. And again, you know, vital records, <laughs> they're, it's, it's more than, you know, we've got a binder of our uh, operating agreement for the organization, right? I mean, this, this has a lot of those things that, uh, you know, would fall under the fiduciary responsibility of whatever your organization is for both your employees and your clients. And then uh, section seven in my plan is testing, right? Testing and mm -hmm. maintenance. And this is, again, part of what no one is ever excited to see an invitation coming from you. If you're the, if you're the BCPDR keeper in your organization, no one's ever excited to see a tabletop exercise invitation come in. It's like, oh, great. We're going to spend a day and a half going through this plan, and making sure that everyone understands what's in it and, you know, who's responsible for what and what would we do in these situations. And then we're going to go through something like a pandemic scenario or a tornado or, you know, shooter in the building, any of these different scenarios that are real world things that you do in fact have to be prepared for. Mm -hmm. And then finally having an appendix, right? A, a glossary of terms, because there's a lot of, uh, just as there is in, you know, IT or in many different uh, industry types, there's a lot of specialized language around, you know, verbiage that you'll find in things like BCPDR plans. No, I like that. And, you know, IT is a big component of that, but they shouldn't be your only component of that. Um, that when I've seen teams in the past do this, Sometimes they try to push it all to IT to develop it, but it really needs human resources and senior leadership and, you know, department heads from every department because when a disaster happens, everybody's going to be involved who's, who's in the leadership role, um, not just IT. IT will probably have a big load of just making sure the systems are working and how do people connect and how do we, how do we contact them. But um, at a certain point, you know, it, it needs all of the rest of the leadership team to, to develop at this. So let's drive it to, we kind of talked about, you know, the disaster recovery portion of it, but what's the leadership components of this? A, a big thing that I'm hearing is just communication, right? There's 
an expectation of that there should be communication two ways and 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 this communication should be calm right in my opinion like it shouldn't be uh you know ah you know <laughs> big screaming <laughs> like like we're we're you know we're we're under pressure we're under fire the, the great thing i always think of um when i hear military leaders talk about um you know, when they're leading the infantry teams is that they always talk on the radio in a calm matter, no matter what's going on, because you want people to be able to under hear what you're saying and understand what you're saying. Um, and that's what we should do as leaders, right? We should be talking calmly. We should be communicating probably too much, right? To the point where people don't want to hear from us anymore, but we, we really need to be apparent with them right away and let them know what we're going on. Hey, we're thinking about you. Hey, we're, we're doing X, Y, Z. Hey, you know, um, you know, you should be expecting an email from us to work from home. Our doors open. So I feel like communication and probably even over communication, a disaster, um, situation is, is more needed than, than no to limited communication. I think you're spot on, Nick, you know, and that, that reminded me of, uh, something that I, I read recently in the dichotomy of leadership. You know, there's a, there's a story in there where Jocko Willink is, you know, receiving a status report from Leif Babin, who is reporting the death of one of their squad. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he spoke exactly to what you're talking about, which is regardless of the amount of emotion that's in it, the communication has to be clear. The details have to be there for what the current status is, what can be done now, what's the information that the leader then needs to be able to ascertain to be able to act on. And despite the amount of emotion that's connected to a high intensity situation like that, the calmness has to be part of the method for mm -hmm. uh, conveying, you know, what the next steps are in the process. Um, so that's, that again is, uh, you know, from my perspective, that's part of what the tabletop exercises are so critical for, because it's it's almost, um, you know, you as a martial artist, I'm sure appreciate this, right? Um, it's the type of thing where you're creating that muscle memory, mm -hmm. right? Where as soon as you start going into that procedural routine, it's just like your body, your mindset, everything falls into place to be able to handle it because it's, it's like there's this unspoken recognition. Oh, this is what this is again. Now we're going through this process again, right? So it's, it's actually creating that familiarity. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, part of what you spoke to earlier that I think is so critical is this is a shared responsibility, there's a lot of leaders from, from a variety of functional areas that have to be uh, deeply engaged in this process. And each of them needs to have that acute familiarity. As much as no one likes to have it, it's, it's really critical. And part of it is, you know, again, to be able to maintain that calmness when you're under mm -hmm. pressure. You have to have enough familiarity with the plan that, you know, in the midst of uh, chaos, you're not searching for your book or trying to go to your mobile app to get to your online document documentation to flip to page 17 to find out who you're supposed to call when a system's down, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. And practice is, is one of those things where people always, you know, brush it off like, oh, do we have to do this? But think of it like it just like a fire drill or something, right? You practice getting out of the building because as soon as when the the when it's going on for real, you just want it to be muscle memory, just a reaction. Um, and you know, like you said, with your with your business continuity plan, you might not remember everything in all those pages, 
but you might remember a certain scenario part and you're like, oh, okay, I remember when we did the drill on, you know, an earthquake, I had to go here. So maybe I start here to look for this piece of information. Mm-hmm. And it's enough that you've been exposed to the situation and the first time you're going through it is not when the disaster is happening. Um, it, it's like you said, you just want a muscle reaction initially to drive you to the right direction. It might not put you in the right place, but you just want to go, oh, this is familiar. Um, I should look here. Instead of going, okay, um, let me Google this because I, I don't know what we're doing right now. Um, but oh, I wait, we've got no you. internet connection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No Google. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. And that that book, The Dichotomy of Leadership, it, I feel like it's better than their first book, Extreme Ownership, um, just in my opinion. But w- when we talk about disaster recovery, that's why I like looking at those military situations, because those are high pressure, high stake games where people's lives are at risk normally and to see how they take those and they're like no no you need to be calm no matter what's going on so that people can hear you and understand you um we know the situation's intense that's going on but if we can't understand you we can't help you and we want to help you um that's why when i when we look at these disaster recovers i like looking at situations like that or how how you know new york city handled 9 11 and everything um looking at those like your disaster might not be as big as that but looking to see the things that they did the things that they learned and sometimes the things that they did wrong um are are good ways for you to take a step back and look at you know as leaders you know we should be doing xyz this worked for them might not work for us but you know hey this is out here this is a real life situation it's almost like us looking at our white papers right (laughs) as it people you know like it's like don't don't tell me your your software does this prove to me that it does it. <laughs> um, it's it's that type of thing. You know, we should be looking to learn constantly, just like we do with with our technology skills. Absolutely. And you know, you think about the evolution of this, and you touched on 9-11. I mean, that's that's kind of the starting point for the majority of organizations in the world, right? Mm-hmm. To be thinking about the importance of this type of process. Previously, you know, there there was the risk management component, and you know there uh, there was loss control. You know, there were, there are these specialized practice areas um, that were sort of more tied to you know an insurance and risk management practice with uh, clients that had you know very high risk types of exposures. Um, but you know, following nine eleven, that was really the wake up call globally. I think that indicated this is something that can happen to any type of business where preparedness needs to be put into place and, you know, really starting to develop a process around what that looks like, as well as, you know, understanding the importance of appointing key resources to be curators of this thing long-term because the, you know, the evolution of a plan is going to look different uh, over two years, let alone 10 years. You're going to have changes in personnel. You're going to have changes in systems, updates. You're going to have, you know, you might have mergers and acquisitions that change your topology. There are so many different factors that come into the need to make sure that your plan is actually a living plan, that it's not something static that gets authored and then put onto a shelf. It's something that actually has to become part of somebody's responsibility. It's a, it's a key responsibility, you know, Mm -hmm. from then on, uh, the, you know, in a, in a prior role of mine, you know, governance was in my title, uh, which is why I got the, uh, 
responsibility of, I was trying to think of something snarky to say, you know, before responsibility, but uh, it eludes me, um, but the responsibility of really undertaking that type of process. You're voluntold. <laughs> voluntold. Right. Yeah. That's exactly correct. Yeah, and I agree. And thinking about it now, you know, 9-11 was almost 20 years ago. Um, and, and we have people coming into the workforce now. For them, it's it's a history lesson, right? It's not – they don't remember it. They don't remember going through it, um, especially as we have this Gen Z starting to come up and graduate from college and join the workforce. And, you know, even with IT, you, some of these jobs, you don't even need a college degree. You can get away with a certificate of a CCNA or a certified security engineer. So we might even have people straight out of high school where it's just – it's it's a history lesson. Um, and even for us who went through 9-11 – this, this COVID-19 is a good example to say, hey, you know, I know we did a disaster recovery plan, but 9-11 was 20 years ago. Um, we just can't keep shuffling this disaster recovery plan that we have and keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down. We need to test it and make sure that this is updated. Just like we wouldn't buy a computer from 20 years ago and say, you know, it still works. It's over there in the corner. <laughs> you know, um, it might it's work. It might get you... meg of RAM. <laughs> <laughs> it might work. It might turn on and get you possibly buy it. But, you know, as leaders, we should always be thinking of the worst thing. Do we need to think about the worst thing every day? But, um, no, but it should at least be visited at least once a quarter, maybe once a year at the least, right? Um, to to see where our disaster recovery plans are and whether they work or not. Do we have the right people in place? Um, and now with everything being remote, it's like, well, okay, so if we shift everything to remote teams, then who do our remote people call for support? You know, they just can't turn around and go, hey, Nick, I need help with my computer. You know, now they need to know who, who they need to help because they might be working at two o'clock in the morning. Um, so I think it's important as leaders that, you know, in all facets that we should be thinking about this. And this is a good reminder, you know, now as, as a lot of the world is kind of shifting and telling their workforces to go remote. Um, that you should be thinking about how, how do we work remotely? Those are great points. And, you know, I think uh, what may be going through the minds of some organizations today who have never undertaken this process and suddenly are forced into a position to recognize the importance of it, where do you start, right? So there's a lot of services out there. There's a lot of consulting groups and, you know, obviously, you know, the front end cost for putting something together like this is going to be one of those expenses that probably most organizations hadn't originally budgeted for, but it is mm -hmm. something that you have to consider as an ongoing expense for your organization. And if you do go the path of engaging a consultant or a firm who specializes in this type of thing who can get you up and running the good news about that is they can kind of help supercharge the process right they mm -hmm. can come pre-packaged with a template for this is what the development of a plan looks like here are the pieces and parts that are typically required here's you know what the process is going to look like to create and uh, curate the plan so that you can have something that does become a living uh, document and then, you know, what's the process look like for actually going through uh, tabletop exercises and sometimes even mm -hmm. helping to facilitate, you know, what those exercises should look like so that going through your first round of it, you've got a clear understanding of how these things should function. Um, there's also uh, services, you know, for uh, both 
storing your information so that you've got uh, a company that is a repository that has whatever the high resiliency is, you know, probably four nines more likely, mm -hmm. right? But something that uh, that does provide you both an online repository that's highly redundant in itself, and then, you know, typically has some kind of mobile app capability that comes with it. So it's easy to be able to retrieve your documents, presuming that you've still got uh, mobile phone connectivity. Um, and then, uh, you know, as well as services for bringing uh, resources, both human resources and computer resources uh, from offsite to a pre-designated location, right? So mm -hmm. you, if, if you actually went through a physical disaster like, a, like an earthquake or a flood and everything's been taken out and, you know, physically it's impossible for your workforce to actually even get back into your uh, operational facility, then you've got to figure out another place that you can work, right? And mm -hmm. if your organization uh, does allow for work for home from home, but it's not feasible for whatever reason for all of your teams to be doing that, there are organizations that can do things like bring in trailers, right? Where mm -hmm. you've got something like a mobile office. You know, we've we've all seen the trailers on construction sites where you know yeah. those things get moved around and are prepackaged the ready to go. Great things with that now too is you know. I'm not going to call WeWork a tech company, but but something like a WeWork, where co these co-working spaces have popped up that have commercial grade internet, um, you could even be getting your employees a subscription to that one around a Regis or something like that, just so they have an office to go to, and and internet and power if they don't happen to have it, because chances are pretty good a commercial building is probably going to have power and internet before a home would. Um, that's just generally, you know, they have higher bills <laughs> on all things. So the power companies and, and the telcos tend to take care of those people first before they take care of the, the, the home networks. But, you know, the, the, that has driven a great possibility to do that. And I've seen or even seen organizations before this disaster portion, when they're looking to renew their leases for office space, they're like, well, we're just going to get some small office space with hoteling and then get the rest of our employees say, hey, if you don't want to come in, we'll get you a subscription to a WeWork and you can work at WeWork and have the nice coffee and have all this stuff at your co-working space and have, you know, uh, gathering and, and a social environment, but you don't have to come to the office. Um, and that's saved some companies tons of money when you think about how expensive commercial real estate is. Um, so, I mean, that that's another thing you look at when you look at disaster recovery, the, the pop-up of that type of stuff has made it easier where you don't have to drop in a whole trailer if you're a smaller firm and can't afford, you know, the trailer to come in and do it. And like you said, I think you just take your, your common, your lowest common denominator and say, what do we need to operate physically? And you work backwards from there. Maybe you bring someone in a disaster recovery expert without buying things right away figure out what you actually need instead of mm -hmm. trying to say well you know let's go spend all this money in amazon workspaces with all this redundancy um when maybe depending on your organization you only need email and like a base camp or something like that um it, it all depends everyone's needs going to be completely different depending on how your organization operates but i would say before you got there and you spent all that money on these tools um, you should bring somebody in or at least run through an exercise internally of what do we really need to keep it going at a bare minimum and start from there. That's a great point, Nick. And, you know, part of the exercise early on where you're identifying key resources is to go through that prioritization 
right? It's a, it's a ranking exercise where you really determine what are your key business applications. Uh, the funny thing is, I think for a lot of organizations, it might not be the first thing uh, that leaps to mind, but email really mm -hmm. is probably the number one most critical business application for a lot of organizations. It's, you know, how you're communicating with your clients. It's how you're communicating with folks within the workforce and, you know, really being able to have some type of cloud enablement or redundancy uh, mm -hmm. built in for your email capabilities. You know, that's, that's often one of those first steps that's an easy sell, you know, as you're trying to build a business case for um, why, uh, why to invest in that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and email migrations are super cheap now too. I mean, like everyone's moving their email to the cloud. So like you can get vendors like Rackspace that will do it for a couple of dollars an email account and set you up. I mean, it's, it's a low barrier entry one. Yeah, it's certainly an easier process than something like, uh, you know, a specialized industry class ERP, where you've got <laughs> something that is really, you know, unique to your business type or your industry type. Uh, you know, it, it tends to come with its own special sauce. And sometimes that comes with, you know, very specialized type of hardware that goes mm -hmm. with it as well. Um, those things start adding a layer of complexity where uh, you may in fact rank that as one of your top, you know, two or five most critical business applications. Um, but to your point earlier about, you know, how cost intensive this whole thing can be, you have to start to really determine what is uh, ultimately, you know, the long-term investment that we're going to have to make to get the type of redundancy that's required so that, you know, you have an idea of what it is. Are we recovering from backup and, you know, our recovery time objective is set to two days or is it something where this is so critical that anything more than two hours means our company is going to start hemorrhaging money? Yeah. And that's going to be different for every organization. A service-based organization can get away with just email. A product-based manufacturing company has a much different business continuity plan than, than you know, a service-based company. But uh, I, I would say our key takeaways from today are that you need to at least start planning. And, you know, this, this Corvid thing is a good reminder that, you know, a lot of organizations probably haven't looked at how their disaster recovery plans were implemented since 9-11, because that was probably one of the vast, big, last, you know, global impact events that kind of caused us to do all this stuff. Um, but, it, you know, if you're not thinking about it now, you, you definitely should be. Uh, you should have started days ago. You know, the best time to start on it was yesterday in the past, but the next best time is right here and right now, right? <laughs> Great point. And with that, I think we've uh, hit a, a, an adequate conclusion for today's episode. But uh, it's I think it's additionally uh, appropriate that you and I ended up recording this on Friday the 13th. Hey, you know what? It's you know, we wanted to stop and do a special episode, right? Just because of what what's going on. It's, it's a bit different than some of our other episodes. But, um, you know, I think on IT leaders, this is a topic that's probably they're probably in the trenches right now trying to get all this stuff to work. Um, like I said earlier, when we hopped on the call, I was talking to a vendor, um, you know, an IT vendor, and they're like, they have customers calling them and telling them that they need to be set up for remote work when nothing's been planned. Um, ever their environments aren't built for it. But, uh, you know, it should be on the top of all our leaders' minds, IT and, you know, just leadership in general. Couldn't agree more. 
Thanks right, for the discussion one, today, Nick. Well, I guess we'll have a good one. We'll, we'll talk to you again uh, later, Brian. Have a good one. Stay safe. All right.